Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you, to sing. There's no one like our God. Would you fill us now? And as we hear and listen to your word, may you get our attention like only you know how to do, like you do best, and have your way. It is in Jesus' name we pray and say together, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Can we encourage our worship team? Wasn't that wonderful, them being out here and helping us do that? Thank you so much to each of, each of you. So grateful. Wow. Welcome to those who are here in person and to you who are watching online. We want to welcome you to Bethany. We exist to love here. And my name is Brandon, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really privileged to have the opportunity to share um, a message with you this morning. Make sure I'm not dropping anything. Okay. And if you haven't already, uh, they did get out a little late. I apologize about that. There is a, a small, a, a brief sermon handout available at the registration tables if you would like one. Okay? Um, but uh, also, Pastor Doug sends his love. He was, is not able to be here this morning because I don't think he would have been able to get through our, our, our screening, our health screening. <laughs> he is not feeling well. This, uh, and so we're going to continue praying for our Pastor Doug and Sherry um, and uh, that they may recover in full health. And so um, I'm excited to be able to share with us in this time, really special occasion. And uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about this opportunity. All right, so uh, how many of us though, have heard of OfferUp? You know, maybe you at home, you've, you've probably been using OfferUp a bit more. Maybe you've been selling a bit more on OfferUp, yes. OfferUp has been a lifesaver, okay, you know, um, in many ways for uh, me. You know, I've been able to sell some things that I've needed, you know. Um, and also been able to purchase some things on the low, you know, in terms of low price. Um, and so I'm really grateful for OfferUp. But yesterday I spent um, some, some of the day outside because I found a really low-cost deal for a seven-foot-tall palm tree. A seven, it's like a date palm tree. And I had Stephen in mind when I was thinking about this. Um, and so it was, in sale in my, it was on sale in my area, and I knew it was going to get, someone was going to get it. And I don't have any trees really in my yard. My backyard is just dirt. So I'm like, I need something, you know? And this was amazing cost. I mean, it was $30 for like a seven foot tall, seven foot tall, my goodness, a seven foot tall palm tree. So I was like, I gotta go get it. Um, and so I went out, but the only thing, the reason it was so low, cause you had to dig it out of the ground yourself. So, you know, I showed up with my tools, my mask in hand, and I got to work. And in about an hour, I had the palm, you know, pretty much ungrounded. And on the handout, I, show, I have a picture here for you. I show you what the palm trees, you know, look like in, um, when before I dug them up. But then, um, as the palm was coming out of the ground, I took a picture and sent it to Anissa just so that she could see my progress. Um, and it was, but it was later. It was later that I realized the picture is an illustration of what many of us are feeling this morning, here, right now, what many of us are feeling at home watching, what many of us has, what actually is also described as what has marked our lives in recent days, weeks, and months, and that is displacement. There I'm looking at the tree and the roots, and as you can see the picture, I mean, it is, the roots are just bare, and thank God, you know, palms, their roots grow are rather shallow, you know, and so I was, it took me a while and some hard work, and there was a, a you know, like a, a pipe behind it as well, so I had to be careful not to strike it, 
But as you can see, the tree was left there, and the roots, however, are all exposed. You see, it is finding the very things that have kept us strong lately, that have kept us connected to something bigger than ourselves lately, that has connected us to our environment lately. It is then finding these things uprooted. That's how many of us are feeling today. Most of us here and many watching online have become in some sense uprooted lately, displaced from the place where our roots lay so comfortably. We tend to think that we'd be all, we'd be all, we'd be, and, well, we tend to think, and we'd be right about thinking this, that roots are not meant to be disturbed. Roots are intended to support the, the plant for an entire lifespan. Yet in God's economy of grace, he has made it so that even roots deeply grown can endure displacement. And after a bit of shock, can find place again. So today, this morning, I want to speak to all of you here and those of you watching on the topic, recovery from displacement. Recovery from displacement. And our text is going to be from two verses from a guy named Peter. But you see, because and setting at the center of, the, of displacement is the simple word, what's that? Let's yell out word out to me. What's that sitting at the center of the word displacement? The simple word place. That's right. So like the palm tree of yesterday, how do we heal after losing strong ties to place? How do we heal after experiencing sudden withdrawal from place? And how do we heal while currently facing a crisis of place? Maybe, you see, not participating in physical fellowship has left you feeling displaced and off kilter when it comes to growing and living out your faith. Perhaps, and I know not just perhaps, but in fact, some of us have lost jobs during this season and we are left displaced. You're trying, to, you're trying to, many of us, navigate homeschool situations because what? Your children have been displaced. Tantrums are on the rise these days. <laughs> and lack of patience is, is, is trying to equate it as well, particularly for me. Displacement, even the little ones respond to displacement have to work through displacement, have to feel what it means to not to have our roots kind of up, up, taken up from the ground. And you see how it looks in those pictures. It doesn't look right for those roots to be exposed. And in fact, you have to get to the, you have to get a tree's roots to the ground post haste, particularly a palm because they will go into toxic shock pretty quickly if the daylight hits it or it's too hot. We're not intended to be displaced for long periods of time. But there's a tension here for those of us who who've been walking with Jesus or those of us who are even interested about this Christian claims um, that are raised here. There's something there's a tension to be held here as it comes to what it means to live out in displacement. Hmm. Some of us have an incomplete sense of belonging in a place. And that's been troubling us. 
Perhaps you've seen an upsurge in your work field. So you find yourself with less time because you're more busy doing things that you have to do day in and day out. So you're displaced physically and emotionally. Perhaps you're in between serving in ministries because we haven't been able to meet in ministries. You haven't been able to serve to do the things you have done in the past. And so you're trying to discern the way forward about how God might use your best so you feel a little displaced. Perhaps you're trying to cope with some of the changing tides of our nation. I've spoken with some of my white brothers and sisters who are trying to navigate the landscape of race and ethnicity and are feeling displaced because it means coming to understand or to terms or these challenging ideas that might be new to some. As a black man, I experience displacement with navigating times in institutions in our culture, in our country, in fact. I experience displacement. Displacement causes us to try and cope by rationalizing circumstances and adjusting to changing dynamics. So to help us with recovering from displacement, okay, because I've tried to help us identify, come to terms with some ways in which all of us probably are this morning struggling with some sense of displacement, some sense of being uprooted. So to help us with recovering from this displacement, we're going to call on a guy who helped others recover from their displacement. His name is Peter. Okay, so the opening of 1 Peter, where we're going to read our text, unveils a journey towards healing for people who were exiles. Due to one of many Roman expulsions during that time, Christians were expelled from Rome and pushed to areas in the Asia Minor. These were not Jewish Christians. They were Gentile Christians, so that Peter is writing to. And Peter is assuring them in this letter that they are now the elect covenant people of God. I know that sounds like fancy language, but he's saying you are now the elect covenant people of God. And you're the elect people of God who are on mission. And as a result, should have some measure of dissonance in any place because of what it means to always be on mission. We're going to see from 1 Peter that... Uh, when you, the more you walk with the Lord, right, we realize, in fact, there's always this level of dissonance in any place. And even though we develop deep roots in something or doing something a certain way, there's always this tension that comes from being on mission that we have to learn to cope and live with in faith. All right, so we're coming from 1 Peter chapter 1. You, um, the passage is on your handout, but you can also go there with me in your Bible or your phone at home. Um, we're doing verses 1 through 2, okay? I mean, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Already some of you are saying, well, isn't that just the introduction? Oh, it's such a rich plea. It's such a rich piece, though. And if you're there with me, I'm going to read it for us. And it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Amen. So the, what we see here is that Peter... Is, is talking to this set, hmm, oh, forgive me, men and women, 
my, my notes are misnumbered, the pages. At home, these things kind of happen. Well, look at that. I'm displaced right now. See, God be trying to teach you a lesson in the middle of trying to teach one. Lord, give me strength. Okay, well, well what I'm going to do is I want to talk to you about six ways we can recover from displacement. Okay? Six ways we can recover from displacement. And that's what we're going to do. The first one, what's the first thing we do and how we recover from displacement? Because Peter is encouraging these pilgrims with how to recover with being exiles who are scattered across the land. But let me tell you up front, Peter isn't concerned about ridding us from all the tension that comes with displacement because the ultimate theology of place lies in the kingdom that is yet to come. So this morning, in this first way we learn to recover from displacement, write this down. It says, it's believing that transformation is possible. The first way we begin to recover from displacement is believing that transformation is possible. You see, the word Peter, the first word that we see in our text, right, is what? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But the first word comes out the gate. We see transformation. You see, you may think it, un you may think it unexceptional that the writer simply states his name. Because it is a pretty normal thing to do when you start a letter, isn't it? And in that culture, it was. And in our culture today, you start it by putting your, well, you actually put our name at the end in our culture. But in that culture, you, you put it at the very beginning. You, so it's pretty, seems, it seems pretty unexceptional. But you see, Peter, though, was once Simon. He was once a Simon. And in many people's books, he would have been voted the least likely person in Israel to make an apostle. You know, but he became the chief apostle to the entire Jewish church. The journey of a Simon into a Peter has been the subject of more than one book in the Bible. In fact, the entire book of Peter outlines this process, this journey that Peter was on with coming from a, a Simon and into a Peter. Peter was capable of writing a letter of this caliber which includes theological concepts that are just as rigorous to understand than any other New Testament letter. This humble fisherman became a leading theologian. His uh, the, although he had flaws in his character, his character matched up to what the call on his life was to become, and he walked in it and lived in it. That ambitious braggart Peter, whose boast was not always matched by his character, would eventually utterly endure martyrdom. But this is the kind of transformation the gospel promises to deliver. I don't know the history of Simon's life as a child, um, his family connections. I don't know much about that. Were they, were they healthy? Were they harmful? I don't, never, I don't know whether he was bullied in school or if he was uh, or if he was a bully i don't know whether he was um if he was an averaged um, excuse me i don't know if he averaged good grades or if he struggled to comprehend concepts that his peers found easy but you know what we can know this morning god knew god knew everything that marked the life of simon and under the influence of his friend and master jesus simon was transformed he was changed. He is Peter. Wounds 
healed, sins forgiven. Character was shaped and formed on the anvil of failure and suffering. Simon became Peter. And you too can become who God is shaping you to be in character, in your family, on your job, in your marriage, in your community, in our nation. Think of that circumstance that has recently displaced you. Believing in transformation means that God does not leave Simon, Simon, but that in the transformative work of failure and suffering and hard times on that anvil, God brings transformation and brings about something new, someone altogether new, someone you would not imagine, possibilities you could not see with your bare eyes. God creates Peter. So from the outset of this verse, we already see transformation is on the rise about how these people, these scattered, displaced people are being encouraged to understand what it means to be displaced and how to recover from it. Peter is saying, believe in transformation. God didn't leave me the same. He won't leave you, nor will he leave your circumstances the same. Can I get an amen? So we do that as number one. Number two, we recover from displacement by hearing our identity afresh. We recover from displacement by hearing our identity from flesh. And at home online, I want you to make sure you're writing that down. If you don't have an outline, write it on a piece of paper. We recover from displacement by hearing our identity afresh. And that identity is as the chosen people of God elect ones, exiles, and scattered, those together. So we have God's elect ones, okay, exiles, and scattered. This is the identity that Peter was speaking to the people about. So it's about being chosen. Chosen not just to re be receivers of gospel, but bearers of gospel. We are the elect ones who, who go on bearing the gospel in foreign and newly imagined environments. That's what this elect group of people had to do, who were displaced from all that they knew and were comfortable with. They had to learn to bear the gospel in new imaginative ways. And it's the first thing you, about you and it's the first thing about me. I know when you first look at me, you might see my hair texture, you might see my skin color, you might even see my gender. But the first thing true about me and the first thing true about you and you watching at home is that you are God's chosen. We are God's elect. That is the first thing about us. And chosen, this word makes no room for elitism or arrogance. For such attitudes, you see, it implies that we were chosen because of our superior qualities. Not so. You recall Jacob, who was chosen over his twin brother Esau. He was chosen before they were ever born. So Jacob could have done nothing to earn that chosenness. You follow me on that one? Okay, putting together these things. Um, Israel was chosen from among rich and powerful nations, putting to bed the thoughts of national superiority. To receive the role of chosen is to abandon our ideas that the reason we have been selected is because of our abilities. So then therefore that should allow us to breathe that what happens for us next in our recovery has not all to do with our abilities, has not all to, uh, all to do with what we've been equipped with, but about what God says about you, you. 
us. At the same time, you see, at the same time, we might want to accept this identity of chosen. At the same time, it's costly, men and women. It's costly because not every one of us wants to hear the verdict that we were chosen. Not every one of us wants to hear the verdict that we've been set apart and that our lives are intended for great purpose and to do great things. Not every one of us wants to hear and accept the identity that we may go through dislocating exile in a foreign place with new ways that we don't understand. Am I being too hard on God's word? Not every one of us are ready. And so it comes at a cost. Because the chosen are a scattered people, we will experience tension with place, men and women. We are God's elect, not for privilege, not, for, not so we can get special attention, but we are God's elect to bear gospel witness to the world. And again, as we see to the people Peter is writing to, that happens on the anvil of suffering and failure. Notice this identity is spoken over the scattered Christians living in Bithynia. Did you see that in the text? It lists all these cities that you probably don't know much about or care much about. But notice Bithynia. Bithynia is the area to which a handful of Christians were experiencing displacement. That's where they went and resettled. Okay? Yet, it was in Bithynia that the first council of Nicaea met and produced the Nicaean Creed which is the bedrock for defining Christian belief here at Bethany, and in fact, for every Christian in the world. It was also in Bithynia that the Council of Nicaea ratified the doctrine of the Trinity. You can notice this opening salutation of Peter writes about what? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Did you notice that in there? And it's only after Peter writes this salutation to these Christians in Bithynia, it's only years later, that in the same place, the doctrine of the Trinity was ratified for me, for you, for the world. That happened there. By the way, Cappadocia, also on there, which is mentioned here, is the home of the early great theologians, Gregory of Nyssa and Basil of Caesarea. The church fathers who are responsible for significant contributions to the doctrine of the Trinity. Why, Pastor Brandon, are you giving all this, this excerpt on church history? Let me tell you why. Because all of that happened. The Nicene Creed, which is, again, you go across the world. What does it mean to be a Christian? You read the Nicene Creed. Why mention any of this? Because all of that happened downstream of Christians who were seeking recovery from displacement. Are you tracking me? All of that happened as a result of Christians who were displaced, seeking recovery and hearing Peter's letter and the seeds began to germinate in their children and their children's children. And down the line, it would be the place that changed Christendom forever. This is the power. Do not sleep on your displacement. God is working men and women. God is working through the shifts. God is working through the changes. And there was resurrection fruit in those places that came to bear when they sought recovery. That's number two. Number three, we recover from displacement by receiving the affection of the Father who foreknew us. 
and we're going, we're just going past it. We're just going phrase by phrase, if you notice. Receiving the affection of the Father who foreknew us. Right? That's a funny little, uh, funny little part of the passage where it says in verse 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then it goes on to listen, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, you see, I know for some of us this sounds like a beginning. Um, well, I'll say it like this. We are beneficiaries of the eternal foreknowledge of God. And I know for some of us, it sounds like at the beginning of time, God like, took out his telescope and looked down the fields of time and determined all of us who would have faith and all of us who, who wouldn't have faith. Well, there's all sorts of problems with that point of view. Foreknowledge, this word refers to a relational knowledge and the way the Father is in relationship with actually the first elect, which is Christ. So God's foreknowledge is in relationship, God's foreknowledge refers to the relationship that God has with Christ even before the foundations of the earth. Christ is the first elect one and Christ became one with human community. So the foreknowledge of God refers to the way God was in relationship with Christ from the beginning and all who then walk with Christ walk in that relationship which was established when in the beginning in other words being chosen in the foreknowledge of god means two phrases because you know there's a lot of philosophy and theological theological time that can be spent on the foreknowledge of god but in other words being chosen in the foreknowledge of god means two phrases for us this morning it means from god and to god from God and to God. Our origin and destination are deeply connected. It is from God we have come, and it is to God that Christians go. This makes the pilgrim's journey endurable. This makes right now your journey of being displaced, of feeling the weight of that displacement endurable because your origins is connected to your end. Well, let me say it differently because right now some of us are, we are discouraged from our ending. We can't see it. We don't know what's to come. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what's next. How will the bills get paid? How will the kids have shoes? How will food find it away on the table? We don't see where we're going. But the foreknowledge, oh, thank you, Lord, of God, is that our beginning is connected to our end. And we can know where we're going because we know where we come from. One amen. God's word is so beautiful and how it helps us understand and alleviate the anxieties of our consciousness and deep feelings we have in our, in our hearts. Out beyond all the philosophical and theological challenges that arise when you hear these sorts of words stand in the simple reality that God has always been involved in your life, men and women. God has always been involved. Whether you've seen it or not, God knew you relationally before the creation of the world. We are not alone. We have never been alone. Number four. We recover from displacement by accepting the spirit that has pursued us. We recover from displacement by accepting the spirit that has pursued us and in whom we live our lives. Because you see it says, to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the spirit. 
You see, men and women, all of our life is lived and experienced in the spirit of God. Right now, you can feel, for those who are here, you can feel that gentle breeze. There are things happening that God is always around. And, and Okay, I won't do, I won't, go, I sometimes go off my notes, but let me stay. Okay. <laughs> Not only has God chosen you to trust in Jesus, but before you even make that decision to trust in Jesus, which God gives us the ability to make freely, before you even ever come to that decision, the Spirit of God has been with you. You watching at home right now, not sure if you would ever go into a church, not sure if you, not, not sure whether you, what you think about this whole Christian thing. If you could, if you could, I would suggest to you to consider things that are going on in life and see and affirm ways that the Spirit of God has always been with you. And in fact, all of us who have ever said yes to Jesus have never done it out of our own power because we're so good or because we get something that the whole world doesn't get or because we're so smart. No, the Holy Spirit enabled us to say yes to Jesus, to see things that were ways in which we're failing, ways in which we need help, the failure that, befores us, that, that is before us. The Holy Spirit enables us to then go on our knees and say, I need help. The Spirit of God enables us to trust Jesus and it does this by softening our heart. And I'm going to give a quick illustration of how it does this. You can, you can recall back to Exodus, how Pharaoh, in 12 times, it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And much of the time, God was doing the hardening. But I have no, I have no time to release that tension. God, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened about 12 times. Two times, Pharaoh did it himself. But the way heart, um, Pharaoh's heart was hardened was because every time he would see the success of the Jews, he would see the success of the Hebrews. He would see the success of Moses. They send plagues at Moses' word. Oh, gosh, and that's being dangled before Pharaoh's eyes that he's not in control. Moses says, okay, God, I, I need the frogs to stop. And God says, okay. And Pharaoh sees, oh, when Moses says, stop, nature responds. Another thing before Pharaoh's eyes, hardening his heart. Each plague, each act of success, each victory, Pharaoh's heart becomes hardened and thus unable to hear God's word, unable to hear God's voice and respond to God's mission and call. So it's the similar, it's true with how our hearts can be hardened, our hearts can be softened. The Holy Spirit dangles the cross before our eyes. Every time you hear a sermon, Every time you hear a worship song, every time you, hear, you see love overcome hatred, every time you see kindness outroot evil, every time you see good become higher than what's low and bad, the cross is dangled before your eyes. The Holy Spirit's doing that. And bit by bit, that softens our heart to then rece receive and decide to trust Jesus. That's how our hearts are softened. That's how the Holy Spirit is at work in your life and at mine. I said, don't take things for granted. But notice the things that are happening in your life. What doors have opened for you recently? What prayers maybe have been answered? You didn't think you were going to get through this month, but look where you are now. You didn't have enough money. There was too many days and there was money in the bank account, but look at you now. You weren't sure how you were going to get the kids through, how you're going to pay college tuition. Look at you now or you thought you were gonna completely and utterly fall on your face after this failure, 
but look at you now when you're endured. The Holy Spirit is constantly dangling the cross before our eyes and softening our ears to say, hear my voice, son. Hear my voice, daughter. I've healed you. Hear my voice. I've set you free, son. I have purpose for you. I have a place for you to be and go. The end is not here. The best is yet to come and is dangled every time you hear a sermon and you, and you, and you hear God's word and, and you study. This is the Holy Spirit sanctifying us bit by bit. We're being slowly changed, healed, formed, and conformed to Christ. That's accepting the spirit that pursued us. Number five, we have two more. Number five, we recover from displacement by holding to our belonging, our belongingness with the covenant. I know that's a kind of a, that's a, that's a rich words. Holding to our belongingness with covenant. <clears throat> holding to our belongingness within covenant. You see, so you notice it start, it kind of get, it might seem kind of odd when it says the sanctifying of the work of the spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with blood. First Peter happens to be one, the book, uh, the book in the, um, the New Testament that has perhaps the most Old Testament um, tones, uh, uh, excuse me, the most Old, uh, Old Testament tones and connections. First Peter. Arguably, Romans and Hebrews might come in a close second. But first Peter is filled with Old Testament imagery and drawing us back to understand what's happening there. Okay, so holding on to belongingness with covenant, the sprinkling with blood is an excerpt from Exodus 24. And Peter does not merely establish then continuity with the Old Testament, which is what he's doing in doing this, but he is also tapping into what's promised in the Old Testament regarding the fullness of who we are as God's elect and chosen. So sprinkling of blood in Old Testament allusion is that we, is that the covenant is being made alive. Because what's happening back there in Exodus 24 is that the covenant at that point was actually being cut in Exodus 24. And they sprinkled blood um, from a cow onto the people to say this is a sign this covenant of God is giving us is now in motion. And so now Peter says to these scattered Christians who are feeling displaced with all sorts of emotional weight and baggage that we carry, he is saying, I am scattering the blood of Jesus over you and being made alive in your heart, in your life, is Jesus and the new life he promises to you, you and all of us. For everyone under the sound of my voice, even back, you might be in your house right now listening to me. God has a place for you. God has a purpose for you, and he started it in Jesus. That happens because of the covenant. So we hold on to belonging with covenant. We don't let go of covenant, of being a covenant people. Being a covenant people means we are a people on mission. We are a people who knows where our energy and power comes from. That is the blood of Jesus. So we recover from displacement by holding on to belonging in covenant community. Stay connected with people. Stay connected with those who are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And now lastly, 
Number six, we recover from displacement by inviting the abundant, ever-multiplying grace and peace of God. How does Peter end this great salutation? This is perhaps the most rich salutation in all New Testament letters. How does he end it? Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Man and woman, on our journey of recovering from displacement, however it is, whatever it is, displacement, and this is, I want you to, and I want you to even write this down, or you, you could write it on the tablet of your heart. Displacement brings provision. Displacement brings provision. When we're feeling displaced, when we're feeling off kilter, we don't know where to go. There's so much changing in our nation, so much new things that are happening in our world, in our homes, in our lives, in our families, in our relationships. But displacement brings provision. God has promised to provide not just what you need, but in abundance. You don't know what abundance looks like right now for some of your circumstances, but will you believe God's promises? Displacement brings abundance, and the anxiety of displacement is overcome by the antidote of the abundant grace twins, the grace twins of grace and peace. And men and women, recovery comes, we, we reach recovery when we receive all of this again and again and again. As we participate with the life of God, we gain ground for our recovery. If you're ready for your recovery this morning, you can participate in the life of God. Any of those six ways of recovering that you may want to go over, they might have, something might have popped up for you, but it's about participating in the life of God and watch and provide. Right now, there's a, as a church, we are displaced in many ways, not just because of what's happening with physical fellowship, but we have someone who is very near and dear to the, the, the Bethany family who's going to be moving. And that's our wonderful Kelsey. Kelsey, can I just have you come, you can come closer to this, and you can come on stage and maybe stand up here with us. Kelsey, in the midst of all that is going on, is going to be moving to Texas. And we are so excited for her. Can we just encourage Kelsey as she comes up to it and clap? <laughs> because if anyone, I tell you, we're experiencing displacement in all different ways. And right now, we can only, Kelsey, imagine the kind of displacement you may be feeling and having to navigate and go through. But we as a Bethany family are trusting God for you and all that he has in store. Um, Pastor Doug sent me a message that I, uh, he wanted to share with you that I'm going to read, okay? Because as we talk about what it means, how God provides, this is an example. This is an example of that in a way we want to um, practice it. Kelsey, another great job today, Pastor. I received this 30 seconds before I walked on stage. So he was like, this is live stuff, okay? Um, another great job today. We couldn't do it without you. And we couldn't have served and encouraged our church family during the COVID crisis for the past six months without you. And you have led with excellence, kindness, warmth, and enthusiasm for the past years, year and a half in this role. But even before that, 
serving years here at Bethany with Jessica. And, in, and after Jessica transitioned, you gave leadership to the worship team. You have been a part of the Bethany family and you have served wonderfully. What a journey it's been. Thank you so much, Kelsey. You have been a gift from God to the Bethany family and to me as senior pastor. You've led us skillfully and with integrity in worship, and at times I've been very discouraged before getting up to speak. And the worship has lifted my spirits, encouraged my soul, prepared my heart, and clarified my focus. Thank you. We're going to miss you like crazy, both for what you've done, but also for who you are. And we will just as energetically be praying for the Lord to bless you and keep you in this next seasons of life. And remember, our doors and hearts will always be open to you should the Lord lead you to come back, to come back home, Kelsey. Your Bethany family loves you, and Sherry and I love you. Grace and peace, Pastor Doug. And, oh, isn't that really wonderful? And as a small token of Bethany's love and appreciation, as you, trans, as you transition to what's new for you in this journey, a great tension we all have to live, we want to give this to you. Thank you so much, Kelsey. I want to invite the rest of the worship band to, to come up. Whatever you might stand in need of this morning, men and women, God is here and he wants to help us recover, our dis recover from displacement. He wants to help us in tangible ways. And if Peter's salutation could be said in just one line, I want to say this and, and I want to pray this over your life. I want to bless you with this right now as we sing. If you know you can receive this blessing, I want to invite you to do it. And this is the blessing that, that, that Peter gives through peace and grace. And he says this, basically. Shalom. May recovery of place be yours. Shalom. May recovery of place be yours. Shalom. May recovery of place be yours. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning that you are the leader, you are the great shepherd. And so right now as we're in this field of, um, this field where we seem lost sometimes, oh Lord, how we thank you for your balm, which is like a soothing balm in Gilead that falls over us this morning and guides us to places of provision. Lord, would you help us respond to the things you're doing in our life? Right now, it's been difficult to walk through these displacements, the feelings that they bring. But God, I thank you that you see us. And I thank you from the beginning of time, you had us in mind. So this is no surprise for you, God. What we're experiencing did not just come up to your attention, but you have been waiting. You have been ready for us to call on you in the time of trouble. So Lord, we're depending on you now to fill us with your Holy Spirit that sanctifies, that works on us in special ways. We feel that breeze blowing. We feel your Holy Spirit working in ways we don't always understand and comprehend. But we believe it this morning. We believe in transformation that we don't have to remain the same way we came here this morning. That we don't have to come, we don't have to leave with that weight that we came here with. Yes, we don't know what's going to, be, what's going to happen tomorrow. Yes, we don't know how ends are going to meet. We don't have it all figured out. Oh, but Jesus, many of us are ready to make a declaration of faith that we believe in turning a Simon into a Peter. We believe, Lord God, that you can turn and transform lives and situations to make them, to make them and bring about fruit 
that bear good things in the world. Lord God, may, may our hearts and lives be cities like Bithynia and Copadacia, which later produced great things for the Christian church, for our lives. Oh, it's so rich what Peter is sharing with us this morning. And we thank you for this gift of your word. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, our Christ and Lord. We say together, amen.